Welcome to the Maranatha Baptist Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this class from our Equip Ministry will be a blessing to you and will grow your love for Jesus Christ. We would encourage you to use it only as a supplement to your regular intake of God's Word in your local church. If you need help connecting with a local church, please reach out to us on our website, mbcgrimes.org. All right, so his awesomeness leads to the fact that he should be feared. Uh, There is no heavenly being like him. He stands apart. Uh, And so, uh, again, he's worthy of this kind of awe and reverence. Uh, In fact, the word awesome, we lose sight of its meaning, but it means uh, something worthy of our awe, right? Full of awe. Uh, And so that is truly what God is. Uh, was it Caleb, Psalm 90.11? Okay. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you. Okay, so his wrath is equal to the fear he deserves. And as we consider the character of God, as we consider what he's like, not just his wrath, but all of God's uh, personality and attributes, we grow in our fear of him, his uh, His worthiness of awe and reverence is equal to the perfections of his character, okay? Uh, And then letter D, Psalm 27, 1. We fear the Lord because God is our salvation, right? Nobody matches him and his strength. And so we fear him. We respect him and not other things. Uh, This comes back to the title of the book that I've recommended a couple times. When people are big and God is small, right, the solution is actually to do the reverse, to remember that God is really big and whatever it is that I was afraid of is actually quite small in comparison to God. He's our salvation. And so with the psalmist, we can say, of whom should I be afraid? Nobody, right? Because God is my Savior. I fear Him. So all of Scripture really points to God's worthiness to be feared and worshipped. But number three, fearing God is actually for our own good. And this is, of course, rightly the third reason. It's not the main reason. But it just so happens that it is good and healthy and right for us to fear the Lord. A number of Scripture passages point to this. Uh, so Proverbs 1.7. Start there. Okay, so fearing God allows us to actually understand how the world works and live skillfully. That's what wisdom often means, to live wisely. We actually can't live wisely and with understanding without fear of the Lord, right? We're not seeing reality if we don't have a right understanding of God and a right respect for Him. Uh, It's a really interesting way to look at things, but... Sin is actually always a twisting of reality. It tells us a, a lie. Uh, it's the same thing like it was all the way back in the garden, right? When, when, when Satan appeared to uh, Eve and was like, oh, did God really say, let me offer you another perspective, right? Well, that other perspective is not reality. It's a lie. And any time fear of God is removed from the equation, we're not seeing reality, Uh, So it's really interesting to think about that. That's why the book of Proverbs calls it the beginning of wisdom. It has to start with a right respect for God. Okay, Psalm 115. Who had those two verses? I don't remember where I handed that one. Oh, yeah, Lydia. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. 
Okay. Uh, and then verse 13 as well. So two ideas there. He is a help and a shield to those who fear him, and he blesses those who fear him. So again, it's for our good to respect the Lord. And then uh, I think it was Megan, Psalm 118.4. Okay, and so as those who fear the Lord, we can say with great joy, God's faithful love endures forever. That's a neat example of kind of what Joan was referring to at the beginning, that we're not just fearing God's wrath, but here it's respect for the steadfast love of God, which endures forever. This awe that his love could be eternal for us. It never changes. And so uh, it's neat to think of that. Respect and reverence for God is not just related to judgment. It's related to all that God is like, including his love, which you see an example of here. Uh, So you have in your notes a list of other passages that refer to the fear of the Lord just from the books of Psalms and Proverbs. (laughs) So that's a fun list. Uh, We won't go through all of those tonight. That could be fun for you to study on your own time. Uh, If you're looking for something fresh to do in your time with God, maybe take one of those each day and think about it a little bit. That could be uh, an encouragement to you as well. But I think it's interesting that Psalms and Proverbs do refer to it a lot. And I think part of the reason for that is uh, we, can't, we can't process emotions like the Psalms talk about, and we can't live skillfully like the Proverbs talk about without fear of the Lord, right? It's, it's part of what helps us see reality. And so learning to know God in his fullness, which again is a lifelong process, but the more we revere and are in awe of what God is like, the better we can process our emotions in this life, like the Psalms help us with, and to live wisely in this life, like the Proverbs help us with. So I think it's just a fun connection how fear of the Lord is so deeply connected to those two categories of life. You know, we think of the concept of fear of the Lord, and it's like, well, what? how does that help me today, Right? Well, if it's impacting my emotions and living wisely, then, boy, you better believe it's affecting every turn of the day, right? Uh, it's, it's a very foundational concept for us to think about. Okay, I want to pause here. Any questions so far about anything we've covered? Yeah, Joan. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I don't have a great answer for you. Yeah, Um, that's just the word they used. I think a lot of times when it's used in parallel with another phrase, like that one verse we looked at where let those who fear the Lord, something, something, those who stand in awe of him, right? So we have helps like those to to, to help us grasp it. But um, but yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. Yeah. Yeah, Jim. Interesting. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yep. Yeah. When we when we choose not to fear God or respect God, we are really saying no to knowledge and truth and wisdom and all those things. Yeah. Yeah. So. It's a good starting place. We think about this. Oh, yeah, so 
fear of God, God deserves it and it's good for us. We should all do it. I mean, we could just end the class right here and say, okay, it's decided. We will fear the Lord, right? But it doesn't happen in life. We find ourselves in scenarios where it's like, oh, what happened here? I know I should be fearing God. I know I should be fearing Him. But suddenly this circumstance in my life seems really big and I'm anxious and I'm worried and I'm, or I'm angry or, you know, whatever I'm doing. And it occurs to me, oh, I'm not fearing God the way I should be. So how did I get from fearing God, like I know I should, to not fearing God and fearing man instead? So the, why does this happen? Well, Romans one twenty three uh, talks about the exchange that happens when we sin. Listen to this. Paul says that we exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Maybe you've heard a statement before that in many ways uh, our actions often show what we're worshiping, right? Fear, reverence, awe of God, that's, that's, those are worship terms. And so what we do when we sin is we worship something other than God. So there's this exchange that takes place. And so I'm going along in my life, and uh, let me try to think of an example here. Let's say I know that the Lord wants me to uh, you know, preach on a Sunday morning, which uh, tends to be normal in my life. So uh, I, I'm confident that's what God has for me. And so I'm walking forward on this path and everything's going really well. And then, you know, Sunday morning, I'm reviewing my sermon and there's some things in the text and some applications that it's like, well, I don't know if so-and-so is really going to like to hear that. And so I begin thinking, oh boy, what are they going to think after this sermon? You know, is there... Maybe if I just soften it a little bit, or maybe if we just, maybe I'll just cut that part out of my sermon and, and adjust it in that way, right? And so all of a sudden, I'm starting to drift from, okay, this is what God wants me to do. I'm going to walk into this, and I'm slowly beginning to value what people think. Okay, so that's actually a shift in worship, right? Because here, I am submitted to God, and I'm ready to do what He wants me to do, but now I'm starting to really care maybe a little too much, so much so, and here's a key word, that what they think is beginning to control me, right? So when something else rules me, okay, I'll cut it out of my sermon, that way they won't be offended with me. Um, they really give a lot to the church, and so I don't want them to, you know, cut back on their giving or whatever. You know, there's any number of things we could talk about there. But the point is, all of a sudden, what they think begins to rule my actions that's a shift in worship. And I've exchanged worship of God for worship of creature. And it could be worship of me. It could be worship of a possession. It could be worship of a person. In this class, we're talking about fear of man as opposed to fear of God. So we're kind of thinking of worshiping people. Uh, but it really is an exchange of worship, like Romans 1 tells us. So why don't we fear God? Well, the bottom line is sin. We're tempted to sin, to worship ourselves or to worship others, call it selfishness. Uh, you can call it all sorts of things, but uh, it's our sin nature that draws us away from worship of God. What happens when we don't fear God? Um, well, Genesis 3 makes it pretty clear. In the garden, they make a choice uh, to fear Something other than God, right? 
the setup had been, God gave us these instructions, and we're going to follow them. We're going to live in joy and happiness and fellowship with God. And then another character comes onto the scene. And, you know, we could debate whether they're worshiping the serpent by following their instructions or worshiping themselves by trying to get what the serpent promised them they would get, right? Uh, Knowledge of good and evil. Uh, You know, we could kind of debate that all day. Ultimately, it doesn't matter. The point is that they stopped worshiping God and began worshiping something else when they submitted to the uh, instruction of the serpent. And so there was this exchange, And so this leads us to the first thing that happens when we don't fear God, the worst exchange. We exchange right fear of God, which involves the the whole gamut of love and trust and worship and joy and relationship and all of that. And it becomes a, what we could call a wrong fear of God or a, a distorted fear of God, where then all that is there is fear of judgment. We're guilty. We're condemned. Uh, we're under God's wrath. There's also fear of man. Do you remember what happened in the garden after they sinned? They went from being unashamed to ashamed. That's fear of man. All of a sudden, they're very aware of what other people think of them, right? We talked about those three ways that fear of man shows up. Fear of exposure, right? We want to cover everything up. Fear of rejection. (gasps) What do they think of me? How will they respond, right? And fear of torment, fear of punishment. And so we see all those things pop up immediately in the garden once they choose not to worship God anymore, not to fear God, but to either serve themselves or serve Satan, whichever way you want to put that. So it starts there, this exchange of worship for God, worship of something else. When this happens, we alienate ourselves from God. We turn our backs on him. We say, no, not what you want, what I want, or what they want, (laughs) but not you. That's what we do when we sin. And it's obviously not reverence for God when we do that. It's not awe of God when we do that. So we alienate ourselves from God. We also end up alienating ourselves from each other because fear of the Lord is actually the foundation for healthy relationships. But when I begin worshiping the creature rather than the creator... I put a weight on that person or that individual that they were not made to bear. People were not made to be worshipped. It's a weight that they can't bear, and it destroys relationships. And so when we shift from worshipping God to worshipping people, uh, without fail, it destroys relationships because it's a relational weight that the other person cannot bear. Uh, let me give you a practical example, right? It's easy, this may surprise you, but it's easy to worship a spouse, for instance, uh, or to worship myself in my marriage. Okay, let me sh- briefly describe how that plays out. So in worshiping my spouse, uh, 
I could shift from, rather than just as a husband, just seeking to please God and do what he's called me to do as a husband, lay down my life for my wife, suddenly I shift from that to, I just really want to make her happy. I just want her to be happy all the time. And so then her every word is my command, right? It's like the princess bride, as you wish, right? So, you know, you name it. She says it, I'll do it, right? It's just all about, I just want her to be happy and, you know, just want to be, love her in that way. And so all of a sudden, maybe my wife says, well, you know what? I don't feel like going to church today. Let's stay home. Okay, yeah, if that make you happy, we'll stay home, right? Well, what have I done? Now there's been, now the shift has become obvious because now I'm not doing something I know God wants me to do and it becomes clear I'm worshiping her. That ends up being a weight she cannot bear because Here's the crazy thing. Me trying to make her happy will not make her happy. It's an unending cycle. Because all of a sudden she's like, you know what, just stop it. I don't want you asking me all the time what's going to make me happy. Why do I have to always be deciding what's, what makes me happy? Or I just don't feel happy today, you know, or whatever. It just doesn't work. We can only have right relationship horizontally when we both worship God. Well, the same thing's true if I'm worshiping myself. Do you know that a lot of my love in marriage can actually be about what I get out of it? Right? I'll do this for her because if I do this for her, then she'll make me dinner, right? <laughs> or whatever. But kind of hiding beneath the surface is actually this self-worship that's not about fear of God. It's not about reverence for Him. And that, too, can destroy the relationship because all of a sudden, when she fails to give me what she had been giving me, dinner, let's say, well, then, that, then the love is gone. Well, I'm not getting what I wanted out of this. I don't know that I love you anymore, right? And, and so the relationship falls apart. We actually cannot bear the weight of being worshipped. We can't. It destroys relationships. And so fear of God is crucial. We alienate ourselves from God, and we do so with each other as well. So the question then is, how do we get back to a right worship of God? How do we get, if if fear of man is such a problem, how do we get back to a right worship of God? Well, remember, we... In, in our sin, and our fear of man, we made the worst exchange, right? We stopped worshiping God and we began worshiping creature. So returning is actually the same process. And let me explain how that works. First of all, it begins with the greatest sacrifice. The greatest sacrifice. Uh, I'm going to hand out these three scripture references that are there in your notes. 1 John 2, 2. Somebody willing to go to that one? Okay, Allie, thank you. Romans 3, 24 through 26. Scott, thank you. And then the last one, Romans 4, 5. And, oh, uh, Janessa. Did I get it right? Yes. Okay, Romans 4, 5, please. All right, let's go back to the beginning. 1 John 2, 2. Propitiation means a sacrifice that removes the wrath of God. So Jesus dies on the cross as our substitute, receiving God's judgment for the sins of the world. And I love 1 John 2 too, because it's not for ours only, he's writing to believers, but also for the sins of the whole world, right? So he is the sacrifice bearing God's wrath. So one of the things we exchanged is when we feared man and worshiped man, we exchanged a right relationship with God. We said, nope. And so instead we just get God's wrath. We're under his condemnation. 
the greatest exchange is that Jesus takes the wrath for us, right? Number two, the greatest offer. Jesus offers divine righteousness to sinners, Romans 3, 24 through 26. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So there's a ton in those verses. A few things to point out. First of all, this is the greatest offer. You notice in the first verse, 24, we're told that it is given freely as a gift that we receive by faith. So we're offered, sinners are offered God's righteousness, divine righteousness in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the exchange where we went from righteousness and a right relationship with God, abandoned that and instead worshiped the creature and put ourselves under God's wrath, Jesus pays for that wrath and restores us to this place of righteousness before God. I mean, talk about an incredible thing. And on top of that, it's offered as a free gift to the one who believes in Jesus. This is the greatest offer. And you notice in verse 26 that God remains just as the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Because Jesus paid the price of our sin, God's not just sweeping sin under the rug and saying, okay, I guess I'll just let it all go. It won't be punished after all. Let's hide that. No, it's paid for in full by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that word propitiation is in there as well. That wrath-removing sacrifice. So that God can actually, in justice, grant those who have faith in Jesus the righteousness of God to be justified. Talk about something to revere and be in awe of. The message of the gospel, the greatest offer. And so then we come to the greatest exchange. Romans 4, 5, Janessa. So to him who works not. So it's not by works, is it? But the one who believes in him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is accounted for righteousness. So this is the return to a right fear of God, is we turn to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith. We trust him. We say, I messed up. I stopped fearing you and worshiping you. I feared this person or this thing or this creature, you know, whatever you want to call it. And I was wrong and I deserve your wrath. But I trust that Jesus paid for my sins, that he died and rose again, and that when I trust in him, you grant me not only forgiveness of sins, sins removed from the picture being paid for by Christ, I'm granted divine righteousness in Jesus Christ so that I am restored to a right relationship with with God. That's the solution to our destructive ways. The worst exchange that we made is replaced by the greatest exchange by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Any questions on that?
Now, that happens initially when we trust in Christ as Savior. We become, when we do that, become what we call born again. We become God's children. And then, from God's perspective, we are forever dressed in the righteousness of Christ. Meaning, even when I slip back into my old ways and fear men, that God never places me under his wrath again. He never turns his back on me again. He forever sees me in his son, which is a beautiful and encouraging truth. The process of turning back to him again ends up being somewhat similar for me, though. So God hasn't gone anywhere, and and many times he's chasing me down to come back to him. And 1 John, again, tells us the process for restoring fellowship with him. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So that process of confession, you could call it repentance. It's when I've turned away from the Lord and I turn back to him and he didn't go anywhere, right? Uh, But that's good for us as believers to keep doing as well. So let's think about what the fear of God looks like in action. What does it look like in action? You have a list of verses there. We're not going to look at all of these, uh, but again, these are descriptions of one who fears the Lord and how they respond in life. And so you notice, they give praise, they listen to truth, they're quiet, teachable, have an undivided heart, follow God's word, hope in the word, uh, understand God's word, they're in awe of him. Uh, They walk in his ways. They're not wise in their own eyes. So some really wonderful truths there. Again, that could be a fun study for you to look at each of those. So here's a little brief discussion question. Can anybody think of good examples in the Bible uh, of people who feared God more than man? Good examples in the Bible. So last week we looked at bad examples. Good examples in the Bible of people who feared God more than men. I saw a hand over here. Jennifer. Yeah, yeah, so Noah, and, and people were ridiculing him for building this ark, and like, what are you talking about, right? I, um, but Noah feared the Lord, and so he went forward with those plans, even though he was being mocked. Great example. Other, other ideas? Daniel, Daniel. yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't uh, well, there's a couple examples in Daniel's life, aren't there, right? So he wouldn't bow, uh, or no, that was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But Daniel, he, he prayed, even after the edict not to pray, right? Joseph, right. Yeah, good. What else? Joshua and Caleb, when they're the two spies. Yeah, excellent. Others, yeah. Esther. Esther. Mm-hmm. Good. Others? All right, that's it, I guess. Uh, so here's a few others to think about. Ruth. Uh, Rahab, Mary, uh, praises the Lord after being announced about Jesus' birth, even though others were looking down on her for what what had transpired. Um, The Apostle Paul, uh, the Apostle Peter was one of our bad examples last week, but he also at times was a good example of fearing the Lord. Uh, Cornelius is another interesting one, is a God-fearer in Scripture. Uh, of course, the Lord Jesus, right, in the garden, not my will, but your will be done. That's fear of God, which is interesting to think about. 
between members of the Trinity, uh, but that Jesus submitted to the Father as a demonstration of awe and reverence and respect for the Father. So kind of a little bit of brain explosion there, but good stuff to think about. And then Hebrews 11, there's a fun list uh, in the Hall of Faith, Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, and some neat examples through history, too. We won't get into those. Um, but yeah. All right, so how do we put on the fear of the Lord? Like, what are some practical steps we can take uh, to do this on a daily basis? So if it's easy to, even without knowing it, slip into fear of man, what are some things we can do to keep ourselves over here fearing the Lord on a regular basis? So here are some ideas for you to think about. First of all, meditate on the gospel. Meditate on the gospel. The truths of the gospel draw us back to a right view of God over and over and over because the gospel shines brightly with all of the attributes of God. You see God's holiness in the gospel, that sin must be punished. You see God's mercy in the gospel, that instead of just destroying us, God was patient, offering a savior. You see God's grace in the gospel, that he bestowed upon us his righteousness as a free gift received by faith. Uh, You see God's love in the gospel. That one's fairly obvious, right? Uh, You see, you know, the list could go on and on and on, but you see the attributes of God in the gospel. And so meditating on the gospel, what God has done for you, marveling at God's kindness in giving his son for you, um, helps us to grow in our fear of God and to truly be in awe of him. No one has ever or will ever treat you the way God has treated you in the gospel. Nothing can ever compare or match up to that. And so it just, meditating on it, just enlarges our view of him uh, and his love and his kindness and so forth. Number two, study the character of God. Again, all of it can be seen in the gospel, but other places in scripture we can go as well. Other things we can study in scripture as well. As well, um, as we understand his character, uh, we learn to know him more, to respect him more, to revere him. The God of the Bible, just a few of his attributes, is revealed as holy, majestic, sovereign, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, merciful, kind, faithful, loving, jealous, just, good. Right? The list goes on and on. We have a marvelous God And a study of his attributes is a lot of fun. If you're interested in doing that, uh, we have some resources on our both our discipleship bookshelf as well as our just general resources shelf. uh, Some books that focus in on the attributes of God specifically. Uh, And so, if you're interested in studying those, let me know, and I can direct you to a a few great resources. Uh, One that I didn't mention that I was going to uh, in meditating on the gospel. There's a book out there called the Gospel Primer which is really helpful for that. Uh, I'm thinking more deeply about the gospel and how it impacts our lives. That could be a helpful resource to you. There's also one called The Cross-Centered Life, uh, which kind of digs into the truth of the gospel and how it shapes our lives, the cross-centered life. Um, So those two resources are beneficial uh, for that. Number three, repent of pride. Repent of pride. 
Pride is, to be blunt, the opposite of the fear of the Lord, right? It's when I think of myself as big, strong, able, uh, smart, you know, any number of things. And often pride creeps in when I'm comparing myself to other people uh, because we have just very distorted views of ourselves. It's like the circus mirrors, you know, Uh, but our mirror makes ourselves look really good all the time. And so when we're just comparing ourselves to others, we tend to just, just default to this. Uh, you know, and, and, and this view of ourselves is inflated. What's happened is we've stopped looking at God. Uh, and we've stopped seeing how big and huge and massive he is. You know, you study God's strength, for instance, right? Can you really finish a study on God's strength and come away and saying, you know, I'm pretty strong too? No, no you can't. I mean, it, my, strength, my strength does not compare to God's. Right. Can you complete a study on God's wisdom and knowledge in the Bible and how he designed the world and created all things and come away from that and say, you know, I am comparably smart. I'm also quite intelligent. Probably could have created all this too. No, we just can't, right? It's absurd. Uh, humility actually is born out of a right view of God and of my place under God. Uh, it's a true view of the world. And when we see God as he's like, we, we become our true size, which is very small. <laughs> so uh, battling pride is a big one. Uh, stopping all comparisons with others, whether positive or negative. Humility is not just um, insulting myself in comparison to others. That's not humility either. Humility is a right view of myself in relationship to God. So, repenting of pride, battling pride. All right. Um, Any questions so far? We're about done. Just a couple more comments to make. Any questions? So, practical closing application. Let's say you find yourself in a scenario where you are overly aware of the opinions of others. Fear of man, right? Uh, public speaking occasion or you find yourself, you, you walk into a room and your thoughts are just consumed with, what do they think of me? What did that look mean? And so on and so forth, all this stuff. So, so fear of man. How does fear of God like, how, how do we battle fear of man in those moments with fear of God? Any specific ideas? Okay, let me give you a specific example. Uh, you walk into a restaurant... And across the room, you notice uh, somebody been your friend for a long time, but your last conversation, you got in an argument, and it didn't end well. And, uh, and you haven't talked to them since. And so you walk into the restaurant, you see this person, and you just, your stomach just turns into knots. And you're like, oh, man, what if they see me? What am I going to do? You know, you're kind of ducking behind the, the counters or whatever. Uh, 
just afraid of what's going to play out. If they, if they do see me, are they still angry with me? What, how do I handle this? Okay, so there's your scenario. How does fear of God help you in those moments? How can you use fear of God to battle fear of man? I guess none of you have ever been in that situation before. Just me. Yeah. Okay. Okay, good. So fear of God directs our actions. Like I know how he wants me to respond here. And I might even back up from that a step or two, right? And begin with enlarging my view of God and ask that question, well, how has God treated me in these scenarios? Oh, yeah, he has forgiven me over and over and over again, right? And my mistakes did not destroy his love for me. <sighs> right? Deep breath. And then, yeah, okay, so I know God wants me to forgive um, and to not be afraid. Yeah, good. Other, other thoughts. How else does fear of God help us in those scenarios? Yeah. Because God tends to be kind and he's yeah. been so kind to us. Like how can right. we not do anything else but go great now? Yeah. 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 Excellent. So a look at God's kindness reminds me of, hey, he's God God's been kind to me. Lord, would you would you want me to show kindness to this person too? Right. And drawing on his actions towards me, his love for me, uh, as strength and help to do the right thing towards this person. Good. Yeah. Would it be considered like ignoring, like and being? I don't know how to say it. Ignoring God? You mean? Oh. oh. Yeah, well, there's all sorts of wisdom principles that come into play here. So, I, you know, in our scenario, I can't answer the question, like, what should I say when I approach them? You know, is this the right time for this conversation? You know, so we, we can't answer all those details because we don't know. It's a made-up scenario, right? So we don't know what conversation happened. But I can tell you that fear of God is what will help guide you through those questions, um, where instead of being afraid of what they think, when you fear God, you're able to ask the question, okay, Lord, I, I don't want this to be between us. You've shown me love. I want to show them love. Now I can think clearly about those discernment issues. Is now the right time to say something to them? You know, will I come across just too lighthearted if I just walk by the table and wave? Do I interrupt them? You know, and so now you can start wrestling those discernment issues. Having moved past the fear of man, now I'm respecting God. I'm confident that the Lord is with me and helping me, and we can think carefully about how to do it, if that makes sense. But, um, yeah, and then when are you ignoring them? Well, again, I think it's more about, you know, what's going on in your heart and who you're serving. If I'm serving me or I'm serving, even if I'm just serving them out of fear of them, well, then I'm in trouble and should probably get out from under the table. Um, but if my heart is to do what the Lord wants, Lord, I just want to please you. Give me wisdom to know how to approach this. 
um, then we're on the right path. And he will help. Yeah. Good questions. Okay, so finally, uh, oh, that's it up there. The fear, uh, to fear God is to reverently submit to him in such a way that leads to obedience and worship. It is to obey him happily and joyfully. Uh, and so, yeah, it's really a beautiful thing. It's the way to live life uh, with skill, uh, with emotional balance, with joy, with all those things as we understand what God is like and respect him more than anything else. Let me just close with a verse that was shared last night at the women's Bible study. I did not go to it, but my wife was teaching and we love to talk about these things. Uh, So this is Isaiah 66, verses 1 and 2. This has been on my mind all day, and so I wanted to share it with you. And it relates to fear of man. The Lord says, or thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. Well, that's not true of me. That's true of God alone. Where is the house that you will build me, and where is the place of my rest? Meaning he cannot be contained in a little house. For all those things my hand has made, he's the creator. And all those things exist by my hand, says the Lord. But on this one will I look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. So the word poor, you can think of as humble, right? A right view of myself before the God who sits on the throne of the universe. Of a contrite spirit, that's, that's humble, broken, be another word for that, just tenderhearted towards the Lord, and trembles at his word. To open the scriptures with a, a soft-heartedness, a, a, a sense of respect for what God has said, that's ready to act uh, on the instructions of his word. Those phrases have been on my mind today, and I thought they related well to a fear of a fear of God, a fear of the one whose earth the earth is his footstool. I love that. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for being so big, and uh, we just ask for your help. Um, even tonight, we confess there are things we are fearing, people that are ruling us and and, and controlling our thoughts and actions. And we don't want that. Uh, Only you are worthy of our worship. And so we thank you for Jesus who who paid for our sins, who, who showed us the picture of your love. May we trust in him. Use the gospel to keep us in awe of you and reverently submitting and obeying you in the details of life. Help us to fear you alone. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more resources, visit our website, mbcgrimes.org. May the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and to God be the glory.